This is B-Hoop Travels, the podcast. Greetings. Hello, everyone. This is your most favorite podcast, travel podcast host. I'm not going to say your most favorite podcast. That's a bit ambitious to say that I'm your most favorite podcast host. But I would like to think that I'm your most favorite travel podcast host. But it's 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 good to be back in my studio. And by studio, I mean the office in my house. But it feels good to be back doing what I really enjoy doing or one of many things that I enjoy doing, uh, which is one of which is obviously podcasting and talking about travel and all that. But it's been a minute. It's been a minute. And I always feel like I am prefacing every single podcast that I do as of late with, hey, a brother's been busy. Sorry that I haven't been podcasting as frequently as I should. But I think I explained to everyone with the Buenos Aires podcast that I was in the middle of a very intense writer's workshop. So for you folks that have done you creative writing folks, Uh, If you've done a writer's workshop, you know how. And mine was sort of for a semester or a quarter, rather. Uh, It's it's a very all-encompassing, very involved kind of thing. So I was very much dedicated to getting this novel that I've been trying to write for quite some time. Uh, I wanted to be able to see the light of day. And I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm very grateful for that experience. And it's just really a testament to me not giving up. You know, it's not complete. You know, I'm not I'm not claiming victory yet, but I do. I would like to recognize the, 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 the small victories, which is the idea of me seeking out a community of other writers through a wonderful program at UCLA where I'm sharing um, my story sharing my novel for feedback and critique. And then there's actually, there's actually an academic component where you're learning substantive information that's going to benefit all of us. And I can already see how it's benefiting me. Um, so hopefully I will have that first draft of my novel, which is called Obama Black, which should be all done by March. So that's, that's the timeline that I'm on. And, uh, I'm really excited about it. But yeah, that's been the the big reason that I haven't been podcasting as much as as I'd like to. And, and not to mention 2020. <laughs> 2020, I don't think I have to say uh, much more. Now, we are, what, five or six days into 2021. And 2021, if if I'm being really honest, is starting to feel quite 2020-ish, given the events that happened with the insurrection, the failed coup of our our capital yesterday in Washington, D.C., which was surreal. I think seeing it felt surreal, but there was that part of my brain that was like, hey, everything that you're watching makes complete sense. Like there, there's been a four year buildup that that got us to where we were yesterday, unfortunately. So needless to say, it's it's it's, you know, everybody that's hearing this, I don't have to belabor it, but it was quite a tumultuous day and and, and just a bit bizarre. It, there was something about it that felt bizarre. There was something about it that felt suspicious. Uh, so, yeah, so that was if if. 
if some of you took mental health days yesterday, I uh, absolutely understand because I, I contemplated it myself. But I ended up finishing my work and just kind of watching the shit show happen from from the office. So today's podcast is going to be about Sydney, um, as in Sydney, Australia. I can't think of any other city named Sydney. But yeah, so we're going to be talking about my wife and I's experience in Sydney at the beginning of 2012, uh, right actually at the beginning of the pandemic, or at least when we started to have the knowledge and the vocabulary to call it as such. So we were actually leaving Sydney when when shit got real, so to speak. So, yeah, so there's a couple things I want to talk about before I get into Sydney. And again, the, the format of the podcast for folks who are this might be your first time joining my podcast and welcome and, and thank you. Um, I, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and, and follow me, Be Who Travels, the podcast on Instagram. I do have a Facebook account, but I do absolutely nothing with it. Um, I am not, I, I, it took me last year to realize that I am not really good with the social media thing. I don't have the the bandwidth to kind of maintain it. So uh, hopefully this year I can come up with a really solid plan to make my social media spaces much more alive and much more active. But anyway, you can reach me on that. And I'm actually on Twitter as well, um, which is virtually inactive. So, you know, shame on me, shame on me. But, you know, I, I will be the first to tell you that I'm not doing a really great job with that. But we're just, yeah, so we'll get into Sydney later. Uh, <clears throat> but right now we're going to, you know, again, I don't want to we, we, we've had enough of the pandemic, but it, it's been like I said, it's been some time since I've uh, done a travel podcast. But I, I, I would like to have a brief discussion about the pandemic and particularly the way that it's impacting travel. Now, the vaccine is here. The first round of folks who qualify for it are able to get it now. So we're talking about older people. We're talking about frontline workers who are in medicine, who are getting the vaccine. Um, Now, someone like me, I know that I'm probably not a high priority. um, And I think that's the case for most of us. So who knows when we will have access to the vaccine, but I'm definitely on board. I know there's some people that are listening who are like, I'm not doing the vaccine. And, and okay, so what I will say to folks that are skeptical about it is that one, I understand where you're coming from. I understand why you would be cautious about it, uh, given how quickly the vaccine has been uh, created and distributed and all that. And also sort of like the idea that there are a lot of other ailments that we have been dealing with for forever that we don't have vaccines for, which raises this question about whether or not this COVID vaccine is safe. And, you know, 
I, I, I can see the argument here. But my counter argument to that is that this is this this is an FDA approved drug. And we all know how vaccines work. And we all know that there has been a global effort with a lot of money and resources thrown behind getting this done, creating the vaccine. Because one, it's crippled the global economy. Two, people are dying. There are lots of people who are dying. The stakes are high. This is a global pandemic. So this isn't an ordinary set of circumstances. And and then, like I said, this is a vaccine. So we know how vaccines work. We've had vaccines before. We've Most of us got vaccines when we were little. Vaccines have protected us from a lot of things. So this is, again, an FDA product that has to go through very strict, rigid standards. And the other thing that I want to say is people are questioning um, and, and with a lot of misinformation, to be quite frank, you know, with really incredible information. But we ingest a lot of stuff that we have no idea where it comes from. We know nothing about the origins. So I'm not sure why we're able to engage in risky behaviors ingest and take things into our body that we don't necessarily know where they come from, um, but yet be very skeptical about this. So I just want people to think about that. Think about what I said, um, because, you know, it, it, it makes it makes sense that we're able to create a vaccine under these circumstances uh, because one, we had to, but because one, we had to do some extraordinary things with resources and money to make that happen because it's a pandemic. So I hope I hope my explanation isn't as convoluted as I'm afraid that it sounds. But really, simply put, simply put, this is an FDA approved product. All of us eat food. All of us have taken some sort of drug that's been approved by the FDA. So we know that, in fact, this is pretty reliable. There's going to be some side effects for some people. There's going to be, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but it's, it's a lot better than a large faction of the population contracting COVID and passing it on. And then a lot more people who are vulnerable dying. So it's a serious matter. I want people to to do their research with credible information, which I know is like a whole nother discussion because some people are convinced that the credible information is in fact not credible and it's just some sort of made up stuff because of conspiracy. So this podcast isn't about that debate. All I'm saying, folks, is just take the damn vaccine so we can manage this whole COVID thing so we can get back to traveling without being worried about (laughs) passing on COVID or contracting COVID so we can get back to some semblance of normalcy. So anyway, so with respect to travel, there are places in the world that are opening. Um, Now, there, there are COVID protocols and the COVID protocols for each country look very, very different. Um, and even, and I want people also to think about domestically. I know that we think when we, we have this conversation, we're thinking about places outside the U.S., but even within the United States, each state has their own COVID restrictions 
and require different things for people that are entering the state. Uh, like I know California, like right now, California has been hit really hard with COVID. They're, they're in dire, dire straits. They don't have places for people to go uh, to get medical attention because they're overwhelmed. So that's 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 another thing people need to think about is like, well, it's just like the flu. And most people that get covid, you know, they're going to recover. You know, that's not really the important part of the discussion when we're talking about covid. We can see how this is is having uh, burden burdening, if you will. Our, our medical infrastructure. And when that happens, that prevents all of us from being able to get medical uh, attention for things that hospitals can handle and fix. Um, but we are approaching a situation where people won't be able to go to the hospital for things that they ordinarily would be able to manage. And then it not being able to be managed can turn into a life threatening situation, which is which is really, really problematic and really sad. And it's something that we need to to do something about. So take the damn vaccine, folks. Take the vaccine. Um, travel. OK, so we were talking about travel. I, I just saw a travel and leisure article this this morning about Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. If anybody out there is headed to Puerto Rico, they are reopening the beaches now puerto rico's been kind of doing this open close the beaches and and a lot of uh government buildings and attractions and that type of thing restaurants that type of thing um ever since the pandemic started and again puerto rico's a small island small island lots of folks coming in from the mainland and from around the world and leaving and they can't take the chance of having people coming in and <clears throat> infecting its residents and, and overwhelming, which I think, you know, they've they've reached a point where they've overburdened the healthcare infrastructure there. So. Uh, so, again, not to sort of reiterate the point that I just made before. But, yeah, so Puerto Rico, they're going to be reopening beaches and eliminating the Sunday lockdown because they, you couldn't do nothing on Sunday with the most recent covid restrictions and then the actual curfew time for the rest of the week is is going to change from nine o'clock <coughs> 9 p.m with the curfew curfew ending to 11 p.m so yeah anybody who's headed out to puerto rico you know i think i might have mentioned in the last podcast that we were going to go to puerto rico at the end of july and there maybe a couple of days before we were going to go they changed the rules. They changed the game up. There was no going to the beach. There was there were no pools. There was no uh, restaurants weren't open for dining in. Some of the restaurants weren't even open at all because I had actually called to find out uh, if if some of the restaurants that we wanted to check out would even be open. And the the overwhelming majority of them were closed. So yeah, so so it's it's also important to check the websites of of countries that you may be visiting, the visitors section of the website. And CNN has a pretty good uh database of with respect to domestic you know, states. Domestically they tell you what the restrictions are on a state by state basis. So, yeah, just make sure that you're doing your research and be in any trip that you're making. You know, I, I 
We aren't traveling for a minute because the 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 rate of COVID is is you know at its highest that it's ever been. We don't feel comfortable with traveling. We have done some traveling uh, during the pandemic, uh, but it was during a time where things were opening up, the COVID levels were trending down. Uh, but that's not the case right now. But for folks that are going traveling, essential, non-essential, whatever the case may be, just make sure that you put an asterisk beside that trip because circumstances can change and you might have to cancel that trip. So I think we have to approach travel. If, if that's what we're doing during the pandemic, we have to approach it with, with uh, some tentativeness. Um, don't know if that's even a word, but we have to approach it with with caution and we have to to think about it uh, as, as something that's sort of not going to be written in stone, you know, because, like I said, circumstances can can change and it's everything's just in flux. So, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. And I just wanted to touch real quick on some of our travel We've, what did we do? We went to California. We had to go out to California to do some some kind of business stuff. So we stayed out there for a week. This this was during the time where things were starting to open up in California. There were parts of LA that had dining inside available, uh, but by and large, most places in LA at that time when we were there in November, uh, late October, early November. <clears throat> weren't allowing people to eat inside and a lot of places were closed so there there wasn't a ton to do uh when we were there but yeah we went there and and really before we went we did our research we were very concerned about the the chances of covid being passed on to someone during a flight uh we flagged delta which has the middle seat open um, I think that's an indefinite standard that they're working with during the pandemic. But yeah, but what we learned through several reports, um, the one that stands out was one that we saw from Harvard, is that catching COVID on a plane uh, is actually less likely than catching COVID at the gym or ca- catching COVID, contracting COVID at a grocery store, kind of these ordinary things that we do. And now that's as long as you're sanitizing your seat, you're wearing a mask, you're washing your hands, you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do. Um, But you can protect yourself. If you're flying, you can protect yourself pretty well. And there's some empirical scientific data to support that. So that was that was one thing that we factored in in our decisions to do some traveling. Uh, We did go out to Montana. Uh, We'd always wanted to go out Montana. Montana isn't a super populated place, so we felt good about being able to social distance. Once again, we took Delta and we also flew first class coming and going. And the first class cabin was pretty empty um, just because of the way that they are blocking off certain seat, blocking off the seating. So, again, we felt very good about being able to protect ourselves um, while we were traveling and we definitely avoided crowds. So if you are traveling, don't, you know, don't go to someone else's city 
and party. <laughs> um, I don't think that's responsible or participate in huge gatherings. I, I don't think that's responsible. So, you know, my wife and I are a pod. We're really the only people that we've seen or hung out with. We do have a couple friends, so we'll say that they're part of our pod, too. But we have a pod, and we make decisions kind of together about what we do socially and, you know, do what we can to socialize, but also at the same time making decisions that are going to prevent us collectively from contracting COVID. So, So, yeah, I mean, that's really... All I have to say about people who are traveling during the pandemic, and I understand people that refuse, you have a very valid reason not to. And like I said, we aren't doing it for a while just because the stats look very, very grim and it just doesn't feel right. And we did go to Asheville, too. We went to Asheville for a weekend, but that we drove and, uh, you know, once again, there were lots of ways that we were able to control uh, our circumstances so we we were able to social distance you know we were able to avoid large crowds and still able to to enjoy our experience now now the <laughs> the other thing that i wanted to say is about and it's kind of piggybacking on all this but i live in atlanta and yeah let's just go ahead and you know shout out Shout out. I got to do it. Shout out to all the folks from Atlanta that voted blue. We did it. We did the damn thing. We flipped it. We we got two people in the Senate. We got two blue folks in the Senate and we got we were very uh, consequential, if you will, during the presidential election, you know, as well as, you know, particularly consequential as it pertained to the Senate race. But yeah, so shout out to the folks in Georgia and really shout out to all of the folks who were on the ground doing the mobilizing, doing the organizing, getting people registered to vote, setting the stage so that we could have this mighty victory that we were able to achieve. But anyway, one thing that I wanted to say about Atlanta as it pertains to this whole COVID thing, there, there's been... A huge uptick in crime in Atlanta, and a lot of it has been caused by people coming in from out of town. And not only are the people coming from out of town causing crime, um, they're likely bringing COVID with them. So, you know, it, it really brings up this discussion about how it's important to move responsibly when you go to someone else's state. But yeah, so the crime's going up. People are gathering together at clubs. And, you know, Atlanta's a big party place, uh, especially black folks love to come to Atlanta. Young black folks love to come to Atlanta, particularly in party, uh, because there are a lot of of party options. Uh, That's something I do not partake in anymore. And even when I was younger, I didn't partake in it that much. But But yeah, so there are definitely a lot of options and there are people coming from they're throwing parties. They're literally throwing parties that are inviting people from places that have much stricter covid covid restrictions, stricter restrictions. I hate that. I hate that I said that, but stringent, if you will, restrictions where people can't go to clubs. So they're coming down here. They're coming down here to party. 
And that that's problematic. But our mayor uh, has been taking steps to do things to prevent these clubs from from having these huge gatherings. Um, so so, yeah, that's just another kind of anecdotal thing that I wanted to share with people as it pertains to traveling um, and how traveling, moving about can have an effect on the places that you visit. So that's why it's just important to be courteous and thoughtful and responsible. Okay, so I think I talked about all the stuff that I wanted to before we got into Sydney. Um, So now we're going to go ahead and start talking about Sydney, Australia. And like I said, this was Sydney and New Zealand uh, were the only places that we were able to travel to in 2020 that were outside of the United States. And, you know, that, and we know why, um, you know, because of Corona, Miss Rona, Mr. Rona, <clears throat> uh, we weren't able to do so. So Sydney, I, I, Sydney loved it, loved Sydney. I was impressed. I was, it, it, exceeded my expectations. I didn't have particularly high one. I don't know why. I'm not really sure. But when I got there, I was like, okay, like, I don't know why I thought less of the place. But why do I like it? Why do people like Australia? I think is the question I should sort of lead with that question. Um, Sydney. Well, I'll, I'll start with Sydney and then we'll talk about Australia at large, but Sydney is a world-class place. Make no bones about it. It's a world-class city, which means it has world-class caliber restaurants, attractions, and experience, and culture. So you're going to get a really, you're going to get a really outstanding experience uh, when you go to a city that's classified as a world-class city. And Sydney is definitely that. Now, the, the other thing that I liked that I felt was unique or is unique about Sydney is how livable Sydney is in Australia in general. But it was very livable. It was modern. It was safe. And the weather was nice, too. We were there at the end of the summer, I believe. Uh, but weather was good too. So you um, felt good while you were there. And, you know, I didn't see, you know, you go to places and you see, eventually you see where the the less fortunate live. You see where poor people who are dealing with abject proportion kind of poverty, you see where they are, you, you know, and, and typically they're living on the streets or they're living in really deplorable living conditions. I didn't see any of that in Sydney. I saw one homeless guy who I he didn't have any by the way, he was butt naked in the middle of town going through the trash. He may have had some sort of mental illness, but he was the only person that I saw that I would identify as a homeless person. So there there wasn't, you know. A lot of poverty. It was kind of like Tokyo. I didn't see you didn't see any poverty. So I don't know. I don't know if they're what they're doing with people. And I know that there are poor people in Australia. And I'm thinking that they probably live 
They don't live in the cities. They live outside of the city. But that wasn't something that you saw in Sydney. And it was a fairly prosperous place. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think that. Excuse me, it's taking a drink of my water here. But because of these things that I mentioned really made Sydney feel, like I said before, livable. Now, so our our flight pattern getting to Sydney, uh, and that's the, the way that we entered the country. Uh, okay, so we started off in Atlanta, Atlanta to LAX, which is like a four and a half hour flight. And we got to LAX the day before our flight to Sydney. So we got to, we always stay at the Marriott LAX, which is a stone's throw from the airport. They have a lounge that has uh, the lounge for loyal members, loyalty members, the Bonvoy room, if you will. At LEX is pretty cool because it's right there on the runway. So you can sit there and, you know, drink your wine or whatever food, whatever vittles they have out there. You can look outside and watch um, planes take off and land. It's it's actually something that I look forward to. So we stayed there. And then the following day, we flew out to Sydney. We had a really late flight, like a 10 o'clock flight. So we had a bit of time to uh, hang out. Now, I have to tell you about this part. This was when the, I didn't even know how to say it, but this is when Corona started to enter our lives. It started to dominate conversations. Now, although we knew how to say it, and where it was coming from, we didn't know how serious it was at that time and how quickly <clears throat> it was transmitting from person to person. So we didn't know that. So the day that we got the couple of days before we left Atlanta, we were sick. We were very, very sick. Um, we didn't know why. And I had been sick. I don't get sick that often. But I had been sick maybe like two weeks before. No, maybe a month before. And then I was like, damn, I'm sick again. And then Stephanie was sick. And we were just sick and miserable together. We tried to take meds, you know, over-the-counter things. Tried to do, you know, do what we could at home. Tried to get some rest. Uh, but it, we just couldn't shake it off. So the day that we arrived to L.A., we had all these grand plans to spend the remainder of the day and part of the next day doing stuff in L.A. Well, that didn't happen. We were so ill that we just slept. We slept for like hours and hours and hours. And, you know, we would order food. Um, and we would, you know, go upstairs to the, the Bonvoy Lounge. But that was really about it and when we look back on it we're like did we have covid i don't know if we did because a lot of the symptoms although the disease presents differently the virus rather presents differently with people but we i definitely had sort of like a, a nasty sinus affection with an occasional headache and i think that was the case for stephanie as well but even on the flight we experience some discomfort but yeah we have to think like did we have it 
did we actually have it? And I remember that was the time where coughing in public would warrant a lot of curious and uncomfortable stares from people around you. So, you know, I remember coughing a few times on the plane and, you know, people, you know, looked at me for maybe a couple of seconds longer than they normally would uh, if there weren't a pandemic going on. So, yeah. But yeah, so we, like everyone else, we thought we just probably had a cold or which could have been the case. Uh, we we haven't got, we've been tested for COVID a couple times, but we never did the antibody one. And it's probably been so long ago that if we had contracted it, we probably wouldn't have any antibody antibodies. So yeah, so we we end up leaving um at 10 o'clock that following night. And then the flight from LAX to Sydney. So LAX is the furthest west place that you can leave headed out that way. Uh, it's a 15.5 hour flight. That's a very long flight. It's right up there with flying from New York to Cape Town. It's longer. It's three hours longer than our flight from Minneapolis to Tokyo. So it's 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 definitely one of the longest flights that you can get. There are not any flights. There is a there is a Qantas, and as soon as Qantas starts flying back to the US, you know, post pandemic, you can do a 19 hour flight that they had just finished like beta testing uh, right around the time that we went, where you can fly from New York directly to Sydney, which is, you know, 19 hours that's that's a that's that's a long time 15 hours is a long time but 19 hours is definitely it's almost kind of unthinkable i mean i think you're you're pushing people's ability to sit still or to be confined on the plane for that long to be honest but <clears throat> anyway yeah so it's a long flight so i mean you know lots of watch lots of movies ate a lot of snacks uh, try to take it easy as long as uh, I possibly could. So we get there. We get to Sydney in the morning. It's eight o'clock in the morning. And mind you now, Sydney is 16 hours ahead. Um, I think it's 16 hours ahead of L.A. You know what? I had researched this before, but I wonder. I think I have it on my phone. I can find out if it's. Yeah, so I'm in Atlanta now. So it's 16 hours. 16 hours ahead of Atlanta. So that means it would have to be 19 hours ahead of LA if if my math is correct. But yeah, so we get there eight o'clock in the morning. We had talked about, you know, how we were going to get to the hotel. And we said, well, there's a or trail, a train, excuse me, a train and a light rail. That, so we can just take the train to the hotel. And by the time we got there, we said, you know what? Nah, we're not doing that. So we got a cab, We, which, you know, we, we try to look for opportunities to save money. Um, but we ended up getting a cab to our hotel. Um, now, what I want to say also about the airport... So they take biosecurity very, very seriously. The customs people, 
the Australian government. They're not playing about it. And if, if you want an example of how serious they are about it in Australia and in New Zealand, there's a Border Patrol show for New Zealand that you can watch. It's like a reality show of people that are coming through customs and they have all these sort of issues that they encounter. But that gives you a, a flavor of what you may encounter whenever you enter Australia. So, you know, there's a long list of things that you can't have and things that, you know, like a piece of fruit. Um, even though we have that, we're not supposed to bring fruit in from another country, uh, here in the U S as well, but I don't think that it's quite as enforced or enforced in the way that it is over in Australia. Um, I have a friend who studied abroad in Australia quite some time over 20 years ago and she had a fruit roll up. And they found the fruit roll up when she was going through customs and they gave her the business. They interrogated her like she had some sort of explosive. And she said it was like a horrible, awful experience. But, you know, I'm telling you, you know, the folks that are listening uh, that, yes, it's 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 a big deal. So be careful. And even when you're getting off the plane. There are a million reminders between the plane and the area where you go through customs just being like, make sure, make sure that you do not have any of these things on our list that are prohibited. And like I said, the list is pretty exhaustive. So just be very careful. Um, I've heard of people that might have had like too much dirt on their shoes. And that raised an issue for, for them being able to enter into the country so yeah please please don't play around with that um and also you will need to get a visa well you don't need a visa but they require to get you they require to they require you to get this let me look it up i did not reach i I, this just struck my mind but you have to get this for new zealand as well it's kind of like a it's not a, it's not a total visa, but it's like this authorization to enter the country. And I'm going to look it up on my computer. I apologize for, you know, I have a list of things that I like to talk about in my podcast. So that's kind of my script. But this just came to mind and I just feel like it's very important uh, that you know about it. Um, all right. There we go. There we go. There we go. Uh, okay traveling so they're just talking about i'm on the website now they're like yeah we're on strict quarantine from you covid infested places yeah so we had to pay like Gosh, was it like $20 for one visa? And I felt like one was... uh, Expensive. The other was expensive. Okay, I am still looking. Australian entry. Okay. 
Okay, so there's the Electronic Travel Authority visa. <clears throat> um, so you need to get that before you go. And New Zealand has one as well. Here, let's see how much it costs. So you don't have to go to like an embassy or anything like that. Uh, it's yeah an e-visitor we did it online like we did it at home but there are a host of different visitor visas that you can do electronically let's see make sure that uh and and when you purchase your ticket they will have that information on there so that you know okay this this one isn't it but anyway i'm not gonna waste our time with that but just be mindful that you will even if you have a passport which you'll need but you'll also have an additional authorization that's required to enter the country and i just don't have it here and i apologize for that and i'll maybe i'll put it on my instagram account um so that you can see it but yeah so be prepared for that and what else about the airport so the airport so we're talking about the airport leaving the airport leaving the international section was once you get through customs they do check all your bags uh it did take a while because we came in maybe with, I believe, a flight from Chile. So there were other flights that were coming in at the same time. Yeah, but you go through and then there's a taxi stand right there um, when you get off the plane. And we, like I told you, we got a taxi. We had a lot of luggage, too. So we got a taxi. And we were hoping that because we got a taxi, it was going to take less time than it would if we took the train and i'm not so sure that was the case we were right in the center of morning traffic and it took such a long time for us to get to the airport i mean to our hotel it took about like an hour when it's pretty sure like a 20 minute ride but yeah so we stayed in a place called chippendale um you know like the male strippers I think they say Chippendale. I think that's how they say it there. But we stayed there. That is about a mile south of the, the center of the city. Uh, so we were sort of right there in, in like the, the urban, the most densely populated urban part of the city. Now, this apparently was kind of a rough and tumble neighborhood. Uh, it's probably been the site for a good bit of gentrification. But this is a place that's getting a lot of attention. And uh, for many years, it was just kind of like overlooked or it was an under considered to be an undesirable place. So now it's, it's popping. It's popping. They've got lots of dining hotspots. It's very close to Chinatown. And it, it's an impressive Chinatown. And, and oh, another side note, there's quite a few people from China. I did not realize that there were so many people from China that live in Australia, but Chinatown's right there. It's an impressive Chinatown. I strolled over there a couple of times to check it out. 
Um, it's got the artsy part. I did see some some artsy places, but there's also kind of a gritty aesthetic to it as well. Gritty and maybe a little seedy. So you can still see that component of his character. Uh, it's kind of survived a lot of the changes. Uh, there's a huge school there. I believe it's called the University of Technology for Sydney. It's a huge school there. So there's a there's a school. So there's a lot of young people that are, <clears throat> you know, mealing about. Um, it's near Darling Harbor, which is one of the many beautiful, breathtaking harbors there in Sydney. Um, I, oh, it's called Union Tech Sydney. That's that's the name of the school that was actually across from our hotel. There's a mall, Central Park Mall, unique looking mall. There's there's a lot of greenery. It's a it's it's a high rise. I think there are apartments maybe on top of it, uh, and it's this this whole sort of mixed use community uh, that was a block away from our hotel called Central Park. There's a mall with a food court, movie theater, all that. So we made a couple of trips. Uh, <clears throat> over there if we just needed to grab something to eat pretty quickly. But yeah, so the cool thing about Central Park is that it's, the, the mall is it's got all this these plants that are growing all over this building. So it's a, a pretty gorgeous sight to behold. So yeah, Chippendale, I, I, I like that we stayed there. I know a lot of people would want to stay over in places like Bondi Beach or Koji Beach, uh, which are all fabulous places. Don't get me wrong, um, but I, I liked the being so close and having such access to a lot of the things in the city. And then it was right on the hop on, hop off bus. If you're not doing the hop on and the hop off bus when you go to these big cities, I really think you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money. It is a wonderful way. It is the most perfect way for someone who hasn't been to a city and maybe if you've been and just aren't that acquainted with it but it allows you to really get acquainted with the city and you can do it at your own leisure you can do it at your own pace it's 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 you can plan you can get off the bus walk around explore a place and then get back on the bus and have you take have it take you to the next place so we've done it in LA we've done it in Cape Town and now that we we've done it over in Australia and it's not that expensive and it's just it's just a great value you you're able to to get your bearings you're able to get a real exposure to the entire city um and and you're not spending a ton of money so do it do the hop on hop off bus uh, you know, it's always easy, easier to use it if you stay close to the stops. But hop on, hop off bus. That's where it's at, y'all. And that that's that's how I think you should do any city that you're visiting. There are other transportation options, too. There's the train, the light rail, the bus and the cab. We didn't do Uber. Um, we found it to be cheaper and and, and just smarter for us to take cabs. And we didn't take, and, and you know, and to be honest, we didn't take cabs that often. We did do a lot of walking and, you know, like I mentioned before, the hop on, hop off bus. So things you got to see in Sydney, I'm checking my time because, you know, your boy is long winded. So we got about 15 minutes and there's some other things to cover here. So, yeah. So you got the Sydney Harbor Bridge. 
which is adjacent to the rocks. Um, the rocks is is it's rocky. <laughs> it's one way to describe it, but it's the first place that the European folks, when they came over there, started to settle. So there's a, a great sense of history in this particular part of of. Sydney. We had lunch over there and it does give you a real old Europe kind of feel. So it has it has that type of aesthetic over there. Uh, it's right adjacent to the Sydney Harbor Bridge and the Sydney Harbor Bridge is, is right there. You can sit there and look at the, the very world famous Opera House, which is even more gorgeous in person. Uh, while we were we were hoping when we were there, we had heard that Solange Knowles, we're big fans of Solange, was doing a concert there, but it was actually a few weeks before we arrived, and then we heard she wasn't well and had to cancel the concert. But that would have been super dope if we the timing would have worked out for us to be able to experience our concert in the Opera House. Uh, yeah, so you can get there on the hop on, hop off bus as well. Um, a hotel that I would, you know, I have a list of hotels that I, I would love to stay in, kind of like a bucket list. And the Park Hyatt Hotel is right there underneath the Sydney Harbor Bridge or sort of underneath it, but not directly underneath it. But it's also in plain view of the Opera House. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we know that it's very expensive because of its location. But it's one of those you know, iconic hotels. So, so yeah, there's Bondi Beach, Koji Beach. We talked about it. Uh, that's where a lot of the beautiful people hang out. We went to Bondi Beach, but it was raining buckets. It was pouring. There was absolutely no one around. We got drenched. Uh, so yeah, but we did get to see it. Uh, but I had a buddy from high school who lives in Sydney and I was able to meet up with him at Koji. He lives near Koji Beach. So we met up at a place called Koji Pavilion, which is kind of like this glitterati place where all the beautiful folks, beautiful young folks that live in that neighborhood or live in Sydney come to check out uh, King's Cross, King Cross, excuse me. I enjoy going to King Cross, kind of like the red light district. There's an iconic Coca-Cola sign that's there. There's definitely a, a savory sort of feel to the place. There's even kind of like a vintagey vibe there too, but I hear that neighborhood is kind of a, a in spite of these things, uh, it's attracting a lot of young people that are that are looking for this kind of gritty thrill, if you will, to to live around. So yeah, so there's King Cross, <coughs> Darling Harbor, uh, a waterfront, excuse me, waterfront pedestrian place. I believe, if I, my memory serves, the aquarium is adjacent there. And then there's just a ton of other things to do. And the views are, uh, I mean, they're sort of incomparable. Like the views are just perfect from Darling Harbor, which wasn't too far from my hotel. So those are, those are some places to get you started. Um, those are some of the, 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 the big things that I recommend. But they're all kind of like shows and excursions. And, you know, if you want to have... Uh, an experience with a koala or if you want to visit some uh, places where you could see indigenous people, which, you know, I have feelings about that, that I won't share on this podcast. But there there are lots of other things that you can do outside the city. And like I said, if you want to see koalas and kangaroos, there are places that you can 
can do that. Um, we did not do that there. We did it actually in Melbourne when we were there. But you definitely are able to access those kind of things from Sydney. Uh, what else am I going to say? I think I got everything I wanted to say out and I'm at like 52 minutes, which is great for me. So yeah, that's Sydney in a nutshell. We did spend, we actually did Sydney in two parts, um, kind of like a five day stint at first. And then we went and explored Melbourne and New Zealand. And then we came back and in like the last three days of our trip, we ended up staying. We actually, uh, Stored our luggage at the hotel. And oh yeah, I wanted to mention the hotel. We stayed at the Four Points by Sheraton's. My first experience at this brand. Wonderful brand. Wonderful product. Can't say I can't say enough good things about it. The price was pretty good. The, there's a bar. The breakfast was really good. We took advantage of Stephanie's uh, titanium status with Marriott, which allowed us to have free breakfast every day. And, you know, we were definitely there. And they had some Australian uh, options, if you will. You know, lots of beans um, available. Um, pretty much like a Chinese buffet available for breakfast as well to make sure to satisfy their 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 tourists and visitors that are coming over from China. But yeah, I, I highly recommend it. The staff was great. The location's great. Um you know, I can go on and on about the location. It's it's very walkable. You can get to a lot of different places. And even right near the hotel, there are some really cool dining options. Like we hit up the Thai restaurant across from it on a couple of occasions. But that's the Four Points by Sheraton. It's a new building, too. It's a new modern building. The furniture's new. Everything's very fresh about it. So you feel good about a hotel when it's new. It's a, it's a different feeling you have when you go to a hotel and you're like, there's a relief. It's like, okay, so I know that it's going to be nice because, you know, no one's ruined it. <laughs> um, so yeah, Four Points is awesome. And that's in Chippendale. Chippendale. Um, so let's see. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. So, you know, one of my goals is to try to do these under an hour and I'm not always able to meet my mark. But anyway, thanks for hanging out with me. Like I said, it feels so good to podcast. I love talking about travel. I love encouraging people to travel and to provide information, to write everything that I know about travel and going places so that, uh, I'm not the only, we're not the only ones doing it, my wife and I. But if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, I I would love to to meet folks and to be able to interact with them and to answer any questions they may have about our travels or or questions that they might have about places that they want to go. So have a, a lovely weekend because I think today it's officially Friday where I'm at, and I'll talk to you all soon. Take care.